Galatians chapter 2, the letter to the Galatians. Guests, a safe place to be new to studying the Scriptures. If you didn't bring a Bible, all you need to do is Google Galatians 2 and the initials ESV, English Standard Version ESV. I'll read for you. Chapter 2, beginning with verse 15, the translator heading reads, justified by faith, justified by faith. We've been studying this letter for a few months now, and finally, finally we get down to business. Listen, the moment I, I at least have been waiting for, here's where I hope the penny drops for many of us. The Apostle Paul, we've been seeing, has sounded the alarm. Some of the earliest Christians living in the region of Galatia, modern-day Turkey, first century A.D., have been entertaining additional teachings regarding Jesus and Christianity. When, when Paul was with them, he had visited these churches. He had taught them that God offers forgiveness and reconciliation and eternal life by grace alone, through faith alone, for everyone who believes on the basis of the finished work of Jesus Christ, his righteousness alone. However, this is what we learned so far, troublemakers, troublemakers, chapter one, who, who I, I think were a little bit like religious activists, why are they even there in the first place? Like religious activists have begun teaching. They, they follow behind Paul and they've been teaching something different. Additional demands. They've been offering prerequisites. <laughs> Conditions that the Galatians need to meet if they were to hope to be accepted by God and by the church. Twice Paul summarized up his critique of their teachings and their behavior. That was last week, the Apostle Peter. He critiqued their teachings as not corresponding to the truth of the gospel. Not corresponding to the truth of the gospel. He said it twice, yet up in, until now, in this passage this morning, he hasn't explained why. Not explicitly why that their teachings were out of step with the gospel. Today, the Apostle Paul answers the question, what is the truth? What is the truth of the gospel? So look with me. I'll read them pray beginning in chapter 2, verse 15 and following. Verse 15. Paul writes, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law but through faith in Jesus Christ. So, we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Verse 17. But if... In our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners. Is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, verse 19, I died to the law so that I might live to God. Oh. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that live, 
but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. The very, very words of God. Would you join me in a prayer for understanding, Father? You know the condition of every soul in the room this morning. You know what's heavy on our hearts. You know the grief. You know the bitterness. You know the weariness that comes from that comes from attempting to please you by doing stuff. I pray you would feed us all this morning your your word is like food, and I pray the power of the Spirit would speak to us in the deepest fundamental levels of what it means when we say the truth of the gospel. Change us all. Show us your Son. Fill me with your Spirit for our good and your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Just this week, just this week, I, I actually, I stumbled upon, I, I discovered as I was studying yet another attempt <clears throat> to do exactly what the troublemakers in Galatians, the Judaizers, were attempting to do. Only now, 2,000 years later, but not novel, <laughs> nothing novel. It's it, just another take on the age-old debate about how free, <laughs> how free is free? Does anything come free? Is there anything for free? How free is free when it comes to the free gift of salvation by grace through faith? Free. Lee. 500 years ago, the Protestant reformers wrestling with this coined a rubric that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, as revealed by Scripture alone, for the glory of God alone, the five solas. Many of you are familiar with grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, Scripture alone, for the glory of God alone. But today, recently, and this debate is raging in the broader church, recently it has been proposed that instead of the term faith as, as in faith alone, we should instead, a better word today would be to use the word allegiance. Allegiance, as in we are saved by grace alone through allegiance to Christ alone. As one leading advocate of this position writes of another leading advocate, and that's the, right, the echo chamber going on here, writes about this subject. He writes, we are saved by faith when we trust that Jesus died for our sins. This is the gospel, or so we've been taught. <laughs> but what is faith? And does it, does faith the word faith, this idea of faith, does this accurately summarize the gospel? Because faith is frequently misunderstood. And the climax of the gospel, he writes, is misidentified. 
And the gospel's full power remains untapped. And I'm not talking about some fringe crazy people there, right? Someone that got blocked on Twitter but now has his accounts restored on Twitter or whatever is going on here. <clears throat> he, he writes, he continues, these are, these are big names. My, my friend's book, he, he writes, while offering a fresh proposal for what faith means within a biblical theology of salvation, his book... He's speaking of his book. Presses the church towards a new precision. It's not saved by faith alone. He says, we are saved solely by allegiance to Jesus the King. Instead of faith alone, Christians must speak, he writes, of salvation by allegiance alone. Other than pounding my desk a little bit. <laughs> As there, uh, listen, you see, the, the debate, if you think this is just some, some, we're just dusting off a little bit of old theology here, some old, an old argument here. No, no, listen, this debate still is raging on, and I, and I think it will until the Lord returns in, in, in both the academy where the scholars live, but also right here in Sovereign Grace Church of Orange in my heart and your heart as well. For it is very, 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 very unnatural to believe that we are saved by grace alone, by faith alone. Somehow, listen, this is the, this is the rub. Somehow it must, it must be something, something must be that we contribute to the equation. Listen, allegiance alone is just another way of saying that what the church has been wrestling with since chap- the beginning of chapter two. <laughs> 20 years ago or so, the popular new perspective was that we were justified by loyalty alone. Oh, does that sound familiar? Loyalty alone, allegiance alone, and can't you see? Allegiance and loyalty are, are both just evidence, right? Clues that we are struggling with this freeness of salvation. Allegiance and loyalty both place their emphasis on us. And not on God. That it can't just be a gift of mercy and grace. Somehow we must earn this. Somehow there must be something in us that commends us to God. Grace alone, by faith alone, and this is the hard part to believe. We get, this is what the gospel says, everything for nothing. Everything for nothing for those who don't deserve anything serve any of this we don't earn any of this it's not because of your pledge of allegiance to jesus as king he's more than king the apostle paul and the apostle peter and the galatians and the troublemakers the judaizers they're all embroiled in a controversy here in chapter two and so are we and so are we, but that's the context. And the question, the question that sparked their controversy is the same one that sparks our controversy, at least my controversy, every time I wake up, hit the alarm, and start heading towards the shower. What must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? Here's, who has done enough? Have I done enough? Who has done enough to say God accepts me? welcomes me. 
that I am his and he is mine? That's the question we're raging in all of our hearts. Every time we doubt the finished work of Jesus Christ. In these two paragraphs, there's two paragraphs here, Paul explains what the truth of the gospel is. What the truth of the gospel is that Jesus did, listen, Jesus did everything you needed to do. Jesus did everything you needed to do. Jesus did everything required. Didn't leave any of it off. You can't add a few more steps. You can't fill in some of the blanks. You can't cherry pick some of the things you like. Your favorite parts, there's no merit badges when it comes to the gospel. Listen, there's no merit badges that come to the gospel. No honorary degrees. Nothing was left unfinished. Meyer said, can you imagine that? I have never finished my task list, ever. He left nothing unfinished. He accomplished it all. That's the truth of the gospel. That's what they're wrestling with. He and not we accomplished everything. And for the one who believes, who receives, who trusts, who has faith that this is true, the truth of the gospel, you get it all. Not on account of anything you've done, but by scandalous, sheer, naked grace. It's very unnatural. You get everything for nothing even when you don't deserve anything, right? Two paragraphs where Paul explains it. Two points. If Jesus did everything that we needed to do, here's the implications. Number one, we are justified not by what we do, but by faith in him. We are justified by faith in Christ. Look again, verse 15. Let me show you verse 15. Paul writes, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Paul, if you stop right there, is continuing his appeal from earlier in chapter 2, what we studied last week, to, to Peter and the troublemakers. And they are all Jews <laughs> grappling with how their Jewish customs and culture and laws and regulations that God has commanded them to follow. And you might say they're gladly, actively following how those now apply now that Jesus, their long-awaited Messiah, promised Messiah, has come. What must we do? What? What do I do? Which parts of the law must we obey if God is going to save us? What must we do to please Him? <laughs> and right here, they're saying, have the Gentiles done enough? Have the Gentiles done enough for us to accept them? Because God has accepted them. Verse 16, okay, that's the context. Verse 16, yet we know that a person, speaking of them, right? We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Yet we know, we all agree, this wasn't even a new concept. This has been the way it has always been that a person is not justified by works of the law. That word justified there speaks of something God does. God does in a moment. It's instantaneous, irreversible. He declares sinners clean, innocent, acceptable, counted righteous. As Paul continues in verse 16, if you look, so we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified 
by faith in Christ and not, he writes, by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. This is common knowledge, you might say, among them. We all agree. They all agree that the, God, that the law, the law has always said, do this, do this, and you will be justified. You'll be declared right with God. But Paul is saying the gospel, the gospel doesn't say do this at all. It says that Christ has done it all. Christ has done. The law requires of them human achievements. We had to do something. The gospel requires faith in Christ's achievements, someone else's achievements. Notice, notice the connection between the sinner here, and he's using the word sinner generally speaking. I'll explain that in a second. But the word sinner here and the Savior isn't anything the sinner does, but a word faith faith the connection between us and Jesus and what he has accomplished that he did everything we need to do isn't by us even pledging our allegiance to him but rather by receiving him trusting him not not even our future improvements in our behavior if you skip down to the end of the chapter, right? Or at the, well, the end of the chapter, verse 21, the last part of our passage here, that last sentence, it's really a summary of Paul's entire argument, verse 21. He says, I do not nullify, cancel out, right? The grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ, and this is what a phrase, Christ died for no purpose. I do not erase reject the grace of God for if righteousness this this perfection that is required by the law if or if righteousness were through the law then what did Jesus do die for in the first place he died for nothing You see, here is the truth of the gospel. The very core of everything we believe as followers of Jesus, and this is so, like I said many times now, unnatural, so unusual. Listen, the, the, the universe, it appears to operate under the laws of, of karma, right? You get what you deserve. This is how the world works. You, you get what you deserve. You do something dumb, dumb is going to come back around and smack you in the backside of the head. But the truth of the gospel, the doctrine of that which is of first importance, right, is that for those whom God accepts and justifies, the only thing, the only one who will get what you deserve is Jesus. We are a worldwide global phenomenon. Local, small assemblies of normal, average people, below average, in my case, maybe yours as well, who believe 
in something other than the laws of nature. That there, there is a way to not get what you deserve. And you deserve it. No one's questioning it. Not you. Really, not anyone. No one's questioning it. We deserve it. But we, we believe that the only one who will get anything that any of us deserve is Jesus who bore our sins on his cross. That's why, why the gospel writers said things like, and John the Baptist, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Not behold the Lamb of God who helps us take away our sins. How did he do this? How did Jesus do everything we needed to do? by living and dying and rising again for our salvation. In five words, Christ died for our sins. In four words, Christ died for us. How did he do it? In three words, it is finished. In two words, he lives. In one word, love. He was crushed. He got what we deserved. Not as an example. He didn't die as a martyr. Not for some cause. Not as an, a mere expression, an example of what it looks like to love. He was a substitution. Our substitution. He stood in our place and was condemned. He who had no sin became sin. My sin. Your sin. a story someone telling a story about an old pastor who had never been to Israel and never been on the hill that Jesus was crucified upon and a member of the church said would you like to go you've never been there before and he corrected his friend and said no I was there 2,000 years ago. I was crucified with him. My sins were present. It should have been me. It should have been you. He was innocent. We, we were condemned. We were awaiting trial. This is everyone's story. We were awaiting trial, and he stepped in before you ever stepped on bond this planet and offered himself as a here's a big word penal substitutionary atonement <laughs> penal substitutionary atonement for our sins appeasing the anger of god his wrath that was squared rightly on us account of our treason this is the difference between what the troublemakers And the troublemakers today are saying. This is the difference between what they're saying and the gospel. The troublemakers say you must obey the law to be justified. Obedience is a prerequisite. The gospel 
very uncomfortably says, Jesus obeyed the law. He obeyed the law. Jesus fulfilled every one of the law's requirements. He satisfied the law's demands. Jesus did what you and I could not do, did not do, but can be ours now. This is the gospel. By faith, not works. Nothing that I could do could give it, convince him to give it to me too. But by faith, as one of my favorite preachers today, H.B. Charles says, listen, this means that I do not need to live my life looking over my shoulder. I don't know if you know H.P. Charles, he's a, a black preacher. He'd say, can I get an amen? I don't need to live my life looking over my shoulder. There you go. I don't have to live with fear and guilt and shame. You don't have to. If you believe, if you put your trust in Christ, you don't have to live with fear and guilt and shame. He said, I don't have to worry about that God is hunting me down to punish me. Why? Because Christ died for my sins did it all. There's nothing left for him to hunt you down and pay back. You don't owe a debt by faith. This is the purpose for which Christ died for you. And if you attempt to commingle that with this, listen, that, that's in the, go the, the gospel, with the, this, which is the law that I'm saying right now, you, you nullify the grace of God. You can't mix the two together. They don't go together. You put the two together, and it ceases to exist. And the conclusion then becomes, Jesus died for nothing. Another scholar writing about the same thing about and this term justification is justification is instantaneous and unchanging on the basis of the blood of the right and, and righteousness of Christ alone. We are counted instantaneously as righteous, and God is 100% for us from then on. <laughs> Catch it. Then he says, here's what he says about faith. We're connected to this new experience of acceptance with God, justification, of which you were not justified prior to faith. He says, we're connected to this new experience by being one with Christ. And how are we one with Christ? Through faith. Alone. Again, not because you're loyal to him, not because you've pledged your allegiance to Jesus the King, but simply because you have trusted him and what he has done and said, he did it all. I have nothing else to do. We're connected to this new experience of acceptance with God by being one with Christ through faith alone and that happens in an instant. It happens in an instant. Faith and not works. A receiving rather than a doing, a peculiar gift of God. He awakens us from our sinful sleep and grants us eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart that becomes soft. And in an instant, we are united to everything that Jesus has accomplished. Everything Jesus offers, everything. Like Zell, it's amazing, however it works. It just transfers the money. And you know what the problem with Zell is, right? An old banker's rumor now in their head. The problem with Zell is, is once it's been transferred, you can't get it back. 
I sold a car once. It was really scary because they sold me the money. And I waited and said, with the keys in my hands, I ain't giving it to you until I see it in my bank account. And then once it got in the bank account, she became very nervous because she, now she realized she couldn't get the money back. <laughs> Hopefully the car would start for both of our sakes. We are, in an instant, detached from the tyranny of the law, which wears you down by design. It demands perfection. God's holy, moral, ethical, everything demands. We are, in an instant, detached from that those demands and reattached grafted in to the one who did it all obeyed it all satisfied it all Jesus and, and to be clear listen it's not your faith that justifies you not even your faith can justify you it's not our faith that saves us or even unites us to Christ it's the object of our faith that does and accomplishes it all. Jesus, that's what saving faith looks like. A receiving. A receiving of Jesus. Now, I read a book this week. I'm not sure if the pastoral team is going to recommend it. You've got to wait to see on the blog if they recommend it. It's a little controversial, but it's a controversial because it's written by John Piper, and everything he writes is the same thing anyways. So I don't know how it can be controversial at this point. But listen to him write. I, I read this book, and I sat in my office. Oh. Tears. Just, listen. When the saving faith receives Christ, what does it receive Christ as? Saving faith receives Christ as what? I ask this because received by itself is a neutral act implying nothing about whether what we are receiving is excellent or only expedient. Enjoy, enjoyed for itself or useful only for getting something you enjoy more. I answer that saving faith receives Christ as valuable, precious, satisfying, and here's John Piper right, a treasure. That's what saving faith, I'm receiving a treasure. Thus saving faith is a treasuring receiving, a treasuring believing, a treasuring trust, a treasuring faith. He writes, when I see treasuring Christ as an element of saving faith, I am not leaving behind the truth that faith is a peculiarly a receiving grace for treasuring and as an aspect of faith, he writes, is also a peculiarly receiving grace, a receiving act of the soul. It's not a giving grace. It's not a doing grace. Listen, he writes, this is absolutely crucial to see. And here you go. Want to catch the allegiance thing? Because one of my critics observed that I am replacing the receiving grace of faith with a giving grace as in treasuring Christ. But treasuring Christ, as I am using the phrase, is emphatically not a giving grace, but a receiving one. It offers nothing. It wants nothing. It no more gives to Christ than a thirsty lip gives to the cup of living water. 
Drinking with satisfaction is not giving. It's receiving. Treasuring. (laughs) Here he goes. Then I use other words to describe the aspect of saving faith called treasuring Christ. I use words and phrases like delighting in. Being satisfied with. Enjoying. Loving. All having Christ as their object. I use these terms, all of them, as receiving graces, not giving graces. They are not performances. Here's what we're talking about. Here's here's what the gift of God is in you who have believed. You want to understand, well, what is it that I do then? I'm justified by faith. What is this faith? He calls them the reflexes of emptiness looking away to Christ. The reflex, which is the gift of God to say, I am bankrupt. There is nothing I can do to change my circumstances. I'm condemned. I think it's so helpful, he says. And then in an instant, granting faith, looking away from our emptiness, we see Christ in all of his glory. He's king, but he's more than king. That's the object of our faith. And when the soul receives him, I was telling my wife, Kiersey, this morning, I said, I said, the old, the old like, I want, I'm going to ask Jesus into my heart. I was like, like everything else, oh, it makes me cringe. But then you realize, oh, shoot, it probably started right. They were, they got, when I ask Jesus into my heart, I receive him. I am united with him. And when I am united with him, all that he has becomes mine. Co-heirs with Christ. Listen. Point two is next week. Let me just ask you the question. Are you relying upon who you are or what you've done for your right standing with God? Are you relying on who you are or what you've done for your right standing with God. And all that includes, including salvation from this deep, dark, broken, evil world. The two don't mix. The truth of the gospel is that you can't do anything that's going to show up on this ledger. You got no defense. You might be here and someone drug you here. Not drugged, you know what I mean. Dragged. (laughs) Is it dragged, drugged? I don't know. Drugged and dragged. (laughs) But you've been here once. This is your first Sunday. Or your 550 whatever we're at Sunday. And you wake up every morning. And you wonder if God's for you or against you. Are you being hunted 
down? Or is God pleased with you? And the answer is, apart from Christ, no. He's not, and you're not with him. And every attempt to save yourself is but another act of treason and rejection of that which he offers you freely. Salvation by grace alone, through faith alone. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for your words. <laughs> Again, your words cut through our thick hearts, make sense of our very natures and personalities and struggles and feelings and emotions. And for the one who trusts in your Son, offers peace and relief. Relief from the tyranny of the law and peace with you. And so I pray once again as we pray every Sunday, Lord, you would peel away the scales from eyes, open up ears, and give grace. Give grace to turn away from your emptiness, our emptiness, and to look to your son, Jesus. Do this, we pray once again, for the one who has not yet trusted you, and for the one who has trusted you countless times, yet tomorrow morning is going to wake up wondering, are you for me or against me? Help us believe that Jesus did it all for us. By your mercy and grace, we rejoice and pray. Amen.